Yeah. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah, and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we are going through Rumi's son, um, the teachings of Shams of Tabriz. So just to give you a little bit of backstory, a very little bit of backstory, Rumi was an Islamic scholar from the 1200s. Uh, his father was an Islamic scholar uh, from Afghanistan, from Balkh, and as the Mongol conquests were taking place, his uh, father packed up the whole family and kept moving everybody west because uh, the Mongols were coming essentially from southern China. And eventually they landed in Baghdad, Baghdad. And eventually from there Rumi, Rumi uh, uh, set up shop in what is modern-day Konya in modern-day Turkey. And he was a very strict legal scholar. And then the legend is that he met someone in the market who asked him some really profound question about something that led him to... Um, you know, explore the spiritual side of things. And then the bigger legend is that he met this person, Shams, Shamsuddin of Tabriz. Shams basically means the sun. Shamsuddin means the sun of religion. So like the one who brings light to religion. And they had a very, very close relationship for years until at one point Shams vanishes and no one knows what happens to him. Rumi goes through a period of really deep sadness because his best friend is gone. Shams comes back and it seems like he was traveling meeting other people, and they continued their, their relationship, their friendship for some time, and then Shams vanishes again, and legend has it that he was found dead in a river, perhaps killed by one of Rumi's students, if not by Rumi's son himself, out of jealousy. Wait, so was it his friend, or his, was he his friend, or his like, significant other? Uh, I mean, that's, that's open, but essentially these types of, of intimate friendships between, between people of the same sex without being what we would today classify as homosexual, um, that was very common, still very common today. Like really, really close best friends where they are mutually uh, teaching each other quite a bit. There is actually a movie in production and they were considering having Leonardo DiCaprio oh, play, yeah, play Romy. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of people flipped out. Uh, you can't have him because he's white. Dang. You know, I, but, I, mean, I mean, that's chase. like a fair... Yeah, I mean, but if like if Leonardo was gonna be playing me, I'd be like, yeah, sure, go ahead, man. You know, as opposed to some unknown guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously Shah Khan would have to play no, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly like you. Or the guy who played no, Uncle Phil. Okay, so anyway, in any case, so <clears throat> this book, Rumi's Son, is published a couple of years ago, and it's a collection of many of the teachings of Shumps himself, and there are not necessarily in any particular order. But we are going to follow the order of, of these uh, teachings. When was it published? 2008. 2008, so nearly, nearly a decade ago. Okay, so the first, the first passage is called The Shining Sun. So we'll read it, and then, and then we'll discuss. I'll give commentary, what have you. And again, by all means, feel free to, to push back in, in any capacity. But, all right. Go ahead. You want me to read? Yeah, please, yeah. Can you? Okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm very good at reading. I do it a lot. Uh, I begin in the name of God, and the infinitely compassionate and infi infinitely merci merciful, and I ask his help. This book was gathered from the words of the beloved, I don't know how to pronounce the name. Mevlana Shamsuddin Tabrizi. Okay. This sultan of those who have, attain who have attained. May God not deprive us of his abundant blessings. Okay, so this follows that this would be the, the, the first uh, of the passages. And it's common common practice that when you're beginning any sort of discourse, you, you begin with praise of the divine, okay. right? 
And this particular uh, reference is, is what you see above in the Arabic, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which is the most common way to begin anything. So another translation would be, I begin in the name of God, the most in mercy, the eternal in mercy. Right, so the infinitely compassionate and the infinitely merciful. Now, this becomes also important because sometimes the the choice of the attributes of the divine that a person is is using will give you a hint of the content of the text. So, uh, generally speaking, there are two types of attributes of the divine: those attributes of beauty, and then those attributes of majesty, or those attributes of beauty and those attributes of power. So the attribute, an attribute of power would be the one who subdues, or the one whose will cannot be stopped. Whereas the most common attribute of beauty uh, would be these two attributes, the uh, Rahman and Rahim, so most in compassion or mercy and infinitely, or infinite or eternal in compassion or mercy. And the other part of this word is, uh, I mean, it's mercy is half of it. The other half is that the mercy giver is bringing the mercy receiver closer. Okay. And so... So this applies especially to Islamic spirituality because one of the central goals of Islamic spirituality is to get closer and closer to the divine. That's basically what it comes down to. And what that also means is that what's preventing me from getting closer to the divine are walls within myself. So if I feel resistance against getting closer to the divine, more often than not, that's something within myself. Okay? It could be related to my upbringing. It could be related to choices I've made in my life. It could be related to things that happened to me. Uh, but something, if something is blocking me from getting closer to the divine, it's almost always within me. And so a way to look at the path of the Sufis is they're kind of like the psychologists of Islam, right? Um, they're looking at, or, or another way to think about this is that my innate natural design is to get closer to the divine, but it's me who's preventing myself from doing so, right? And then the next, the next sentence, this book was gathered from the words of the beloved Mevlana Shamsuddin Tabrizi, the sultan of those who have attained. So, it's a collection of his teachings. Uh, Mevlana in Urdu is Maulana, which literally translates as our master, which is a common title to, for Islamic scholars. Sometimes in the modern era, people take issue with this title because it sounds like that's only God's role to be our master. But it's a term of respect. Right? So Shamsuddin is his name, the sun or the sunlight of the religion. Tabriz is where he's from. The sultan of those who have attained. That would be a cool title. And so, so those who have attained means what? Those who have attained nearness to God. Okay. And sultan would be sort of the master or the, the best of the best. Okay. And so, so what is this book then about? It is how to really get close to the mercy of the divine. And it ends with a prayer. May God not deprive us of his abundant blessings. So far, so good. All right, let's go to the next one. And you want to read? The Palace of the Ancient One. If you pass beyond the body and reach of the soul, then you will have reached createdness. The truth is the ancient, eternal being. Where can the one who is created find the one who is eternal? What connects the earthly cre creature and the Lord of the Lords? In your opinion... That means of which you move and attain liberation is the soul. Then what use is it to put the soul in your hand, ready to give it away? Good Even if your lovers bring you their own heads, the gift of their life, they will have only brought cumin seeds to Kerman. What is it worth to bring cumin to Kerman? What renown, renown, will it bring? What price will it fetch? 
there is a palace where he is without need. So take your need there. Because the one without need loves need, and you, due to, the, due to that need, may suddenly leap out of these created affairs. Something from the Eternal One is connected to you. It is love. The ambush of love comes, from, comes and embraces you, just as it says in the Quran. They love God is the effect of God loves them. Then you will see the ancient eternal, uh, ancient eternal one through the ancient eternal one because he perceives all vision. This is the entirety of the words that do not end and will not end until the day of resurrection. You need one more paragraph on the next page. Mm -hmm. um, the friend of a friend. Oh, okay, that's it for one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so this is, a, this is a bigger one. So let's take it piece by piece. <laughs> If you pass by the beyond the body and reach the soul, then you will have reached createdness. And so, so some of this is going to seem really, really abstract, but try to take these as little seeds to help understand how everything works. So each of us has at least two parts, right? One part is your physical body, the other part is your soul. And another way to think about that is that by saying part of you is this soul, there's a part of you that is, that is from beyond this world. You can say it's from the divine or it's from paradise or what have you, uh, but there's a part of you that is not from here. Okay. It may be the same as your consciousness, may not be, but what that also then means is that there's a part of you that will never find satisfaction in this world. There's a part of you that will always be unhappy in this world. So I may, my body may receive complete satiation, meaning I might have food, um, all the other appetites of the body might get fulfilled, and even then, there's going to be a part of me that's never going to find fulfillment in this world. Okay. So the created aspect of you, meaning the worldly aspect of you, is what you're seeking to move beyond in terms of spirituality. Okay. So the truth is the ancient eternal being. So both of these are referring to God. So God is the truth, and God is the ancient eternal being. Okay. So another way to think about this is before everything there was God. Okay. And that is the ultimate truth. So think about this. You know, in our contemporary era, we speak of everyone having their own personal truth. What is true for you may not be true for me and vice versa. And we are saying in this paradigm, there is an absolute truth. And the most absolute truth is the divine. Okay. And another way to frame that is that the word in Arabic for truth is haq. And the word for reality is haqiqa. They're both coming from the same root. So what we're also saying is that the ultimate reality of this world is God. Now, to, to frame that, think about how you look at the world around you. That when you were 10 years old, you look at the world in a particular way. Okay? Now you guys are both, give or take, around, around 20. You are going to look at the world in a very different way than that 10-year-old did. And when you're 30, it's going to be a bit different than the 20-year-old. right? Because you're going to have more experience in the world and, and more perspectives and such. Okay. And so the point being that your perception of reality is a subjective experience. Like we're saying, everybody has their own truth. But there is this absolute true reality, which is the divine. Okay. Where can the one who is created find the one who is eternal? What connects the earthly creature and the Lord of the world? So this is the question, how do I find the divine? Okay. How do me, a creature, how do I, a creature of the earth, Find the Lord of all the lords. Okay. 
In your opinion, that by means of which you move and attain liberation is the soul, then what use is it to put the soul in your hand and ready to give it away? So what are we saying here? That a lot of times what we really just want out of life is be able to make our own decisions, to be my own boss. Good. And so what this book is suggesting is that's all well and good, but you're selling yourself short, right? Self-determination is a good thing, but uh, there's much more available to you in this world. Okay. And what that is synonymous with is pleasure, meaning the closer you get to reality, the more pleasure you will also find in your existence. So it's not just, okay, you should get closer to God because that's good. It's because it's very, very joyous. So on the next page, even if your lovers bring you their own heads, the gift of their life, they will have only brought human seeds to Kerman. So think of Kerman as a king, and a king who, who owns everything, and you're just bringing a couple of seeds to that person. That's what you are giving God if all you are giving is devotion. Okay? So you are obliged to give devotion to him, like we're, whether we're talking about the daily prayers or what have you. But <clears throat> reframe your outlook from duty to love for the divine. Okay? And so then, what is it that you can give out of love for the divine? This is in the next paragraph. What is it worth to bring Cumin to Kerman? What renown will it bring? What price will it fetch? There is a place where he is without need, so take your need there. So one of the best things you can give to the divine is your need. Okay. Now, a way to frame this is that, again, in our era, we're conditioned to be self-sufficient. Okay. And this is not saying take away your self-sufficiency. It's look for all those places in your life where you have longing. Okay. Longing, for example, for reunion with someone. Right? Longing to get through your daily struggle. Longing to find answers about the future. Right? Those are all longings. Those are needs. And so that's what you take to the divine. And that's one of the most important pathways to get closer to the divine. Figure out what are your needs. Which also includes what are you taking for granted that you probably shouldn't. And then that's where you start with. That's one of the big doors to get closer to the divine. Okay. Because the one without need loves need, and you, due to that need, may suddenly leap out of these created affairs. Something from the Eternal One is connected to you. It is love. So your natural design is one of love, and your natural design is love for the divine. Okay? So love and need go hand in hand. Because love is a type of longing, right? Which means it has joy with it, also has pain with it. And so this is where you really seek to get closer to the divine. And then what that also means is everything in the world around you is to assist in that relationship of developing love and need for the divine. The ambush of love comes and embraces you. So that is also the nature of love, right? You know, in our language, we say you fall in love. And here it's using the word of ambush. I actually like the word ambush better because that's how it feels, right? You got hit. You don't even know what hits you to the point that it's almost like the little birdies are circling around your head. You can't, you can't even think straight. Just as it says in the Quran, they love God. It is the effect that God loves them. So what are we saying here? When you think about the divine, that actually means the divine is, so to speak, for lack of a better word, thinking about you. When you are developing love for the divine, that actually means the divine is developing love for you, meaning the divine is bringing you closer. Okay. So a lot of what we're also talking about is your subjective experience. Boom. Then you will see the ancient eternal one through the ancient eternal one because he perceives all visions. So this is, this is related to a teaching of the prophet 
where he says that the divine, that God is saying, nothing, I love nothing more than when the servant fulfills obligations to me. And then the servant gets closer and closer to me by doing voluntary acts. And then the servant becomes the eyes which, or I become the eyes with which the servant sees and the feet with which the servant walks. And so what are we saying? This sounds kind of like union with the divine, but it, bet more accurately than that, it's you removing your narcissism. So what are we saying? One, my biggest obstacle preventing me from getting closer to the divine is my narcissism. Okay? And so narcissism can be self-love, but it can also be self-loathing. Okay? And that is what I hold on to to prevent me from getting closer to the divine. Okay? So what are we saying? That my goal is to decrease my narcissism. And this also plays out in the relationship between, between two people in terms of love, because narcissism uh, forces the other beloved, the beloved, to then start serving you, right? And that's not the nature of love. Love is giving, 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 as opposed to demanding that you take, right? Because he possesses all the vision. This is the entirety of the words that do not end and will not end until the day of resurrection. So this sums it all up. And then the last paragraph, oh, that's, that's uh, the... Um, the next one. Uh, what do you think? Any thoughts? Questions? Okay. Um, sorry. No, no, it's all good. That's uh, a lot of very heavy material. You want to do one more or you want to finish for today? No, no, no. Okay, let's, do, let's do this next one. The friend of the friend. The friend of the friend. They say I'm a saint. Suppose I am. What honor and pride could I take from such words? Rather, it would cause me in intense shame if I were to be proud of this. Instead, I am proud and I am a friend of... Mivlana. Mivlana, who, if one looks at the attributes indicated by the Quran and by the saints of the Prophet, is a saint. So, I am the protector of the saint and, and the friend of a friend. From this point of view, I am stronger. Okay. So, in our culture, how do we define a saint? What makes someone a saint? What do you think? Very religious, very pious, maybe. Yeah, yeah, totally. Right. And so the word here that's being translated as saint would be more accurately translated as a friend of God. Okay. And so, so they say, I am one of those people. Suppose I am. What honor and pride could I take from this? Okay. It would cause me shame if I became proud of this. Right? Meaning, a person is seeking to get closer to the divine to get closer to the divine. Not so that people revere that person. We'd call that person a hypocrite, right? If my goal to get closer to the divine is just so people get impressed by me, that's literally hypocrisy. Okay. So if I start becoming proud of this, then there's something wrong with what I'm doing. I'm not actually getting closer to the divine. I am actually getting more narcissistic and may not realize it. And again, that's really what a lot of this comes down to. It's my focus on myself versus my focus on the divine. Instead, I am proud. Uh, I am proud that I am a friend of of the Mevlana, meaning of Shams, who we're talking about. If one looks at the attributes indicated by the Quran and the teachings of the Prophet, is a saint. Okay. So, how do you determine if someone is a saint? You look at their behavior, right? So it's not even their knowledge, not their costume. It's their behavior. Do there does there is their behavior upright, and is it so upright that it inspires other people to be upright? That's what you're looking at. So I am the protector of the saint and the friend of the friend. From this point of view, I am stronger. So I am the one who is trying to make sure that the Mivlana is okay, which means what? I'm a servant of God, and I'm also making myself a servant of my friend. And so that is another aspect to think about in terms of spirituality. At the core, 
it's service. Because service is the opposite of narcissism. Service, you're giving of yourself. Okay. How does that make him stronger? Because he is even more in service than the saint himself. Boom. Tell you what, let's stop here because these are actually a really, really huge points. And then next time we will get into uh, Mirror. Sound good? All right. So, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the next one.